Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Welcome to episode 200 of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM, CITR.ca online, from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of British Columbia. We are the only soccer show on Vancouver FM Radio. We're also the longest-running podcast coming out of Vancouver as well from a soccer bent. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenheimer. And as milestone, milestone episode for the AFTN Soccer Show. And to celebrate a milestone episode, I thought we would celebrate a milestone in Canadian soccer. The launch of the new Canadian Premier League. And an episode where we don't talk very much and we, other people talk, they know what they're talking about. So that's a bonus for everyone. This episode, as all episodes, is brought to you in conjunction with BC Soccer Web, your one-stop site for all your local, national and international links and news stories. Check them out at bcsoccerweb.com. So we have a lot to get through tonight. Two-hour show, and we've got a number of guests that we're we're going to, to bring to you. The Canadian Premier League is... As I said, a milestone in Canadian soccer. It's in its infancy just now. There's not too much known about it. There's a lot of what people are taking as facts. But is it actually fiction? So we're hoping to address some of that tonight. Clear things up. Hopefully. And we're going to kick things off with a chat with the director of business of the new Canadian Premier League, Paul Byrne. A man that will be known to many from his time at Toronto FC. And we had a really good chat with Paul. Half an hour in total, so we're going to split it into to two bits. We'll, we'll play the first part, then we'll talk a little bit about what he said, and then we'll be back with part two. So without any further ado, let's kick this show off with Paul Byrne. So I cast my gaze from people to the most absurd detail. A single cup of coffee, a hypothermic of my dentist Thank God for Mr. Prentice And I will it for my lady The Canadian flag, baby! Uh, thank you so much for, for doing this, Paul. I, I know you've been doing a, a lot of media and getting asked a lot of questions of late. 
Uh, well, thanks for having me on. It's, uh, it'll be a pleasure to answer all your questions or dance around them as I need to. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that there's a lot of facts and there's a, a lot of speculation out there. So we'll hopefully address some of those things over the, the next few minutes. Sure. I, I guess the first thing to ask, like a Canadian league, it's long overdue. It's kind of been on the cards for, we've heard about it for a number of years, but how many years has this all been in the works for? Uh, probably three or four years, you know. Good ideas start start with an idea and they uh, evolve and they merge. And and uh, I started speaking um, with uh, one of the potential owners back in 2013, so um, at least three years ago. Okay, and like, your own involvement with it, obviously people know you from your time at TFC, you, you were the first employee at, at TFC, then you went over to, to Brighton for a little bit. How did you get involved in this? Well, after, after my TFC experience, um, that's when uh, uh, Bob Young's group of companies got in touch with me and Scott Mitchell, the guy who's the, the chief exec at uh, the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and really some of the real energy behind this, uh, this idea coming to fruition. Um, and we did. Yeah, we just even before I went to Brighton, we we just had a conversation about what might be and what might it look like and what is the opportunity and so on. Not just for me, but the opportunity for football in this country. And obviously, Brighton's been a, a very progressive club for a, a number of years now. F- from what you've learned there, and d- did you get a chance to look at say smaller countries and and how the league models work in those countries as well? Yeah, I've, I've sort of become a student of it. Uh, after leaving Toronto FC, I realized that, you know, um, yes, we had a lot of success and we had some good fortune along the way with our club in Major League Soccer. But, uh, you know, I, I spent some time in Ottawa with the Senators before going over to England. And, and I really tried to become a student of the smaller markets and understand how meaningful they are to their communities and how do they operate and how do they... Uh, how do they keep from going under in uh, in a smaller community? So it's been a you know my my career has really been an education. Oh, I can imagine, and you seem to have been doing so much travelling in the in the last couple of months in particular. Now, looking at some of the the info that's out there, which may or may not be true, one of the things which was kind of mentioned was a potential start date after the the World Cup in, in Russia next year. Is that still what you're working towards? Or obviously you only get one chance to, to make a first impression. Is it more important to make sure that all the pieces are in place to have a, a successful launch? The second part is absolutely true. So we've not said anything about start date. Other people have speculated, um, but we've not made any kind of comment or commitment because uh, because we really want to make sure that, uh, as you say, we, we only get one chance at a first impression and... Uh, and it's so very important. And, and also, we have to work within the global footballing community. You know, there's, where are these players going to come from? And, uh, and how are, are we going to repatriate them if they're Canadian back to Canada and uh, with only two transfer windows? And, and uh, you know, so, so to suggest today that we would begin in August of uh, 2018, that gives us uh, a summer, a uh, winter, and another summer. That gives us three transfer windows. Um, so... Yeah, that's probably doable, but uh, but we need to understand everything, not just, you know, are the stadiums ready and are the owners ready, but also is the player pool ready and what does it look like and what should our salaries be and all those types of questions. So there's more questions than answers even among 
our group. We have some recommendations and some ideas, but, uh, but we still need to uh, sort things out. I'm very pleased to hear that because I, I, I know everyone just wants it to start. But like, like I say, you've only got the one chance to do this and it can certainly do more damage if if a league was to start and then it, it doesn't look good to start with. And as you say, there's a lot of questions folk have about, about the structure of it. Is there a minimum number of teams you feel you need to have on board to be able to kick it off? Uh, well, we have uh, we have 10 expressions of interest that we are working actively with and uh, and they all have varying degrees of work to do. Some of them already have a stadium and a, an infrastructure in place. Some of them have to get building permits and build their stadiums and there's all, you know, and everywhere between those two. So um, of the 10, I'm, I'm really bullish that all 10 will come to fruition at some point, but they may not all start with us. So um, to answer your question, I, I think the right number is probably six, but only if we know who seven and eight are and, and we know where they're coming from and when they're starting. Obviously, there's been a lot of mention that there's CFL owners that's interested and obviously Bob Young and, and Hamilton Ticats being one of them. But h- how important is it to you to have owners on board that it's, it's a good mix of not just business people, but actual football people, soccer people that understand the game and, and know what is needed to, to run a team? Uh, well, I, I think, as you say, I think a balance is important. The, uh, the balance between people who are going to run a good business and people who are passionate about the game uh, is really important because we're buying into something that, you know, we need to have a long view on. This is not something that's going to um, uh, turn into a, uh, a money maker for, um, for the owners in, in day one, right? We, on the one hand, we're, we want to run a good business and make sure that people aren't losing money. However, on the other hand, we understand that as the game in Canada grows, then the fortunes, you know, and I don't mean that in a monetary sense, but just, you know, then, then good fortune will come to the game yeah. and to our owners. But we're talking on a 10, 20, 30 year horizon. Again, that's really good to hear because that, that was one of, one of the things which I was worried about, that some people might think, oh, this, there's a lot of money to be had in football. I want, want to jump on board. So a lot of clubs are not going to make money initially. Is that going to make it harder, though, to pitch? Because you're... You're looking for people that want to do this for the growth of the game and the good of the game, as opposed to people that are thinking, yeah, I, I'm not expecting to make any losses. I, I just think that I want to go in this and it's a chance to make money. Well, again, you know, making money is a loaded statement. And, yeah. uh, and while they might lose money on an annual basis for a few years, that's not really the point. The point is that they are buying into something that is going to grow in value. So... If you lose money for a few years, is that losing money or is that really investing in something that's growing in value? So that's the pitch to our owners, and, and they, they certainly understand it. They're coming into this with their eyes open. You have to spend money before you're going to make money. And, uh, and I have to say, I have more conversations like this with, um, with bloggers and podcasts than I do with the owners. So just, just to give you some context, it's not really an overriding issue with our owners. They understand what they're getting into okay. and uh, and they're happy to be there. There's a number of well-run clubs already out there. For example, in the PDL, League One in Ontario. Like out here, you've got clubs in VMSL and Fraser Valley. Would you like to get existing clubs on board or is that not really that important? You just want a good infrastructure there. Well, we need a good infrastructure. 
infrastructure and we need people who, again, are able to see the forest or the trees so that they are able to see the long-term opportunity here. Um, I, I, I would be concerned about inviting a, one of the clubs that you, you just described um, if they weren't able to absorb the type of uh, initial investment that would be required. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think, for me, the longer-term opportunity is to create some sort of connection between what is already existing in Canada and what we're building at the top. And, and if we could have some fluidity between levels, again, this is long-term and aspirational, then, uh, then I think that would be the way to do that. With, with so much kind of misinformation out there, I'm sure there's a lot of things that haven't even been decided upon, but the, the franchise fee, one of the numbers that was thrown about was $1.5 million. Is that fact, or is that, again, more just min- misinformation? Uh, again, we, we've not stated any number, and, uh, and it's not a... Yeah, I, I don't know where that information is coming from, I think, or people are just making it up. We've yeah. not said anything, and that's not something I'd be prepared to discuss here. But, you know, we're not we're not positioning ourselves as franchises. We're not, uh, uh, we're not you know, it, it, there are other leagues where the franchise fee has been the key revenue driver for the league and continues to be, and that's not the case with us. We want each of our, our local clubs to be able to stand on their own two feet and work hard on their local market to develop a, uh, a fan base that is active and interested and excited about coming to matches and, and all of the experience around the match. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's so much more than just the 90 minutes on a Saturday. Being a football supporter is, is, a, uh, is something that gets under your skin and becomes part of your lifestyle, and we need time and we need opportunity we need passion to be able to let all that happen. And so we're trying to really create the atmosphere where that can happen. Oh, totally. And I, I hate the word franchise, obviously, coming from the UK. like I've been a long-time AFC Wimbledon fan since they reformed, so hearing the word franchise just has bad connotations for me in general. <laughs> of all clubs, that one, huh? Yeah. <laughs> um, but obviously M- MLS has, has the biggest piece of, of the pie here at the moment. Would you like to see the the league run along similar lines like MLS, where where the league owns all the players, or are you looking more at a kind of European style that clubs can just sign the players and they own the contracts for them? Well, I, I think I think who owns the contract is a very nuanced thing, and uh, and doesn't have a ton of bearing on the operation of the club. Uh, so, you know, we will take some of our our governance and some of our our uh, corporate structure, I guess. Um, we will take some of that inspiration from other leagues, including MLS. Uh, but I, again, I, I, I don't think that has a long-term bearing on the game. It doesn't have a bearing on... Um, it, it, it will have a bearing on how we launch our league and how we just, you know, we, we're going to acquire players and distribute players amongst our, own, amongst our teams. Um, but after that moment, uh, I don't think you'll see any difference between how we operate and any other club on the planet operates. Excellent. And when I first came over here, like the idea of salary caps was kind of an alien thing to me. I, I've kind of grown to like it because it does kind of keep more parity and you've not got just clubs running away by, by spending absolute fortunes. If you're still following European football, then you'll know that financial fair play is a joke. Yeah. And, uh, and it's not 
having the desired impact of saving clubs from going under and people losing their jobs and communities losing their beloved teams. So our, our position on that is we need to set ourselves up for a win, our owners and, and our overall organization. We need to be able to sustain the first 10 or 15 years and, and to, be, uh, to be able to um, grow or shrink you know, God forbid, you know, as, as needed. And uh, uh, so as a result, keeping expenses under control is going to be probably job one. I know it's boring and, and not very interesting for football fans to, to hear that, but hopefully they will take some solace in the notion that we are, we are looking at launching and uh, staying around. We don't want to go anywhere. Yeah, and it might, might sound boring, but it's the most important thing. And obviously, as a Scottish person... I saw like Rangers go under because they didn't live with in their means, and then they come back after all that, and their fans want them to go and spend money, and then they're going to get in the same trouble again, which I find baffling. And I often say this, not in relation to the owners of our of our teams in our league today, but I often say this that in order to own a football club, you have to be a little bit crazy. <laughs> yeah. And and so my job as an administrator within the machinery is to uh, help save the owners from themselves because they're competitive people. Oh yeah. They're successful in business and it's why they're successful on the pitch. But, um, but we've seen so many times when, you know, when a team in any league in the world goes up a level and, uh, you know, gets promoted and gets a little bit of extra money and they squander that money on players in a, in a rabid desire to stay up and then they go back down and now they're, now they, they, uh, they can't, they can't sustain their, they can't even pay their bills. Right. And who gets paid first? The players. Yeah. And then, so all you know, all of those local support organizations that are are living off of those local clubs, you know, the local printer and people like that, all those people aren't getting paid. And so, the the knock on effect of uh, of a football club running a bad business is is really devastating to the community. So we want to avoid that. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess when you're talking of costs, travel costs are are the highest. I. There's lots of places in Canada I want to go and explore, but I can go back to Scotland for cheaper than it than it costs to to fly to Newfoundland or or Labrador. Is that something that's like the biggest concern? Is just how much cross country travel costs? And would you maybe want to get one of like the airline people involved to try and and keep those costs down a little bit? Well, we we certainly will uh, do that, and it, and it is. I wouldn't say it's, it's a concern. It's just a uh, it's a known expense line item that might be more for our country than in other countries. Yeah. Um, but it's not it's not going to make or break us. And and yes, we'd like to get involved with um, with an airline organization. But you know, if you've ever looked at your plane ticket, most of the um, most of the charges on that plane ticket have to do with tax and landing <laughs> fees and yeah. uh, and and fuel. And and those are things that don't change. So you know that. The airlines can step up and help us, but only to a degree. It's just a fact of life. No sense getting upset over it. Yeah, that's that's very true. So Paul Byrne there. That's the first part of our, our chat with Paul, and we're, we're going to bring you the second part in the part two of this, this podcast. But I want to just chat a little bit about what he said just now. And there, there was a lot of positive things that he said there, and one of the things we have to talk about is when the, the league might start. And there's been a lot of chatter out there, 
possibly we're looking that, that the league could start, they said, after the World Cup in August. Can I do a Mexican-style split league and they'll have like the fall league like the NASL have, maybe with six teams? But for me, I don't think that's the way to go because, as I said in the interview there, you've only got one chance to make a first impression. And I think if you're doing something like that, it just it doesn't legitimise it, I feel. No, I don't think the the soft launch is the way to go. I don't think I don't think it's ideal, and I, I think there's I think there's mixed views even amongst the some of the people who are supposedly highly involved with, involved with this. And so, yeah, I you're you're right. This this needs to come out of the gate very very well. You, you know, could there be an ex, like some exhibition games or something? I guess maybe after the World Cup. But the actual league itself, I don't think, can really start till 2019. Uh, I'm even thinking 2020 might be an ideal time to start just to get everybody going. That's a great vision, Steve. Um, and then also, because uh, you're six years outside the, the, the World Cup that we're, we're supposed to host or allegedly host. Um, another thing, I, I don't want to see a soft launch at all. Um, don't yeah. think that would work at all. I think it will make it look very uh, uh, low-brow low uh, league. Um and and number of initial teams, I know he said six, but that's too low. For me, that doesn't give you much of a national league, especially how big the, the country is. I think you got to start minimum eight um, and have everybody ready to go. I, I do feel that they, they need to have all the teams that's going to be in it for the first full season. First two, three seasons, I think. Yeah, I think the, they, the they ninth or tenth team could come later, yeah. Well, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Like The number of teams should probably be at least eight or higher. But uh, I would disagree with you, Steve, when you say it should be set for the first two or three seasons. I think there are, ex- I think there are extraneating circumstances we can look at uh, that are that currently exist that would see teams join in the second or third year. Yeah, that's fine. And a- another big part of it all is the franchise fee, which Paul wouldn't commit to what that was. There's been lots of numbers thrown out there. One point five million was a figure that was thrown around. He didn't confirm that. He said he didn't really know where that figure had come from. And you, you want to have financial stability. And obviously the franchise fee, which I hate using that word, but franchise fee. Yeah, can we call use it a club else? fee? Yeah, let's call it a club, club fee. Yeah, I think that works. Stop using it. the F word, Michael. Okay. So we'll go for the C word instead. Club fee. Oh, C word's not that great. <laughs> That's going to give a little bit of stability to some of the clubs. But it is important to have owners on board that know that they're not going to make money for, he said possibly the first 10, 20, 30 years, they have to have a vision that it's a long-term investment. It's like putting your money in the stock market, you're not going to make a lot of money in the early going, and it's a long-term investment. Yeah, I think he might, I think beyond, uh, when he says 10, 20, 30 years, I think 30, that... 20, 30 years scare, would scare somebody yeah. trying to invest. I think 10 years you can sell. I think that's also a little bit too of like uh, helping people understand this is a long-term thing, but yeah. I, in, their, in their hearts, they're thinking this will make money in sooner than 20 years. I'd, like if you look at MLS, MLS started what, in 95, 96? And then so then if you think of it, they really got going... Really, in 2010, well, well, they, I think. They, they, keep, they, they might keep, think they got it by going sooner. They than keep that. telling the players union they're still not making money. So. No, I know that. Well, that's, maybe that's the reason why they say 20, 30 years. <laughs> they, they only got going when Seattle joined. I mean, yes. that, that, that's clearly. I, mean, they, they I thought it was Toronto in 2007. Well, they claimed to invent it, but we all I think know it was Seattle. 2010 when they decided Portland and Vancouver should join. Well, that, that's when it went big time. Yeah. But the financial stability of the league is crucial, it cannot fail. 
if this league launches incorrectly and fails in the first couple of years before the World Cup even comes to this, these shores, that there's no going back. And, I mean, Paul said there that he's looked at a number of smaller leagues around the world and that, that's good. Hopefully he takes the best of all these leagues and we see what happens. So we played to the first part of our chat with Paul Byrne. Here's the second part, looking at a few other things and then we'll be back to chat about those in about 12 minutes. In a time when hats were high, I had no Canadian flag Just a sign of Dave and Roger Too scared to purchase larger But I walk through the Clyde Valley And the shadow of fiery Jack But I will fear no evil Wrapped in the Canadian flag Now, the Canadian aspect of it Everyone knows that this league is to help the game here, get better talent on the pitch, a bigger player pool for the national team. By Canadians, for Canadians. You, I mean, obviously, you can still have overseas players in it. Are, are you looking at, say... Why, why, is that, why is that obvious? I, I just kind of naturally assume that there wasn't a big enough player pool in Canada that you would want to have at least some overseas talent. So is that not the case? Well, no, I'm just... I, I get... I get my knickers in a knot when people just assume that. That's all. <laughs> it is probably the case. Our, our player pool uh, in Canada, you could say, is a little bit shallow. But uh, but the number of you know the combination of the number of players playing in Canada or playing in other nations who have uh, who have you know a Canadian passport but had to go abroad to do their development or still are abroad in a in a in a European or a, a global academy. Um, Players playing at a high level in Division One schools in the U.S., playing at a high level in the OPDL or the Quebec Premier Soccer League, or um, in, in some of the other leagues across the country. The, uh, there is more than enough talent, and there is more than enough desire to um, to field an entire league for us. Um, the reality is, I think we will allow imports, but we'll have a we'll have we'll have a cap on the imports. Yeah, I was going to say, are you looking at things like the Chinese Premier League, where they've now, after their initial craziness, have gone to just three overseas players? And we had that in Scotland for a while, that you could only have a certain number of overseas players before money talked and then that changed. But a cap is something that you would definitely want to look at. Absolutely. There will definitely be a cap on imports, and, uh, uh, and I suspect it'll start at one number, but we will reduce over time. So, you know, we are concerned about fielding a quality product on the pitch, but we know that our product will grow over time. And, uh, and we believe that if we wrap ourselves in the Canadian flag and really, you know, demonstrably try to deliver on the promise of improving the Canadian game, then we think that Canadian supporters will, um, will allow us the luxury of a little bit of time to do it right. And uh, uh, so, so, like I say, we'll, we'll have a, a max on imports. And by the way, this isn't etched in stone. This is oh, my yeah. opinion. Yeah. Um, but our owners have to uh, have to uh, agree to this. But my recommendation would be that we start with a, a maximum number of imports, you know, on the roster, call it eight, nine, or ten, or something like that, and then reduce that over time as the player pool improves and uh, and as we we get a better sense of where the quality is. So again, it's aspirational. It's about designing something that allows the Canadian game to improve and grow while balancing uh, delivering a good product for our fans and supporters, and also surrounding our Canadian players with players who are going to help them improve. Right. So it's yeah. not just having 
um, import players. It's about having the right import players so that they they contribute to the elevation of the game in this country. Something like I'm I'm a big fan of of CIS. I I, I feel it gets it doesn't really get the respect it deserves here. I've watched Thunderbirds here for a number of years. The amount of great players I've seen come through Canada West and CIS in general. And then they have, they've never had places to go because they, they don't get picked in the MLS draft. Are you looking at maybe having a CIS draft? Is, is that something that, that's been talked about? It certainly has. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just listed off where a bunch of Canadians were playing. And yeah. one of them one of those locations wasn't CIS because that's in Canada, right? I was I was trying to, to demonstrate places outside of Canada where Canadians have have gone to play. But you're absolutely right. There is a high level of play in Canada uh, in in CIS, and you know one of the things that drives me crazy is the overarching desire from parents to place their kids in an American school. When, from my perspective, I think Canadian schools are better, better for that student and cheaper. And they don't have the same, um, you know, amateur status yeah. rules that the American schools do. So I see the Canadian schools as a real option for our players um, before and after their career. Excellent. Timing of the season. Obviously, Canada's weather is very unpredictable. Even in Vancouver this year, we, we've had snow that we've never had for most of the time that I've been here. Are, are you looking as much as possible to avoid the winter months, or is it kind of inevitable that you're going to have to somehow play in, in some of the winter months? Uh, I think we're going to get winter weather, but I think uh, we're going to try and confine our season to between April and October. Okay. But as you know, in Edmonton or in Saskatoon or you know other places, it's, it's inevitable that you're going to get snow in those months. But, uh, but again, it's, it's about avoiding, it's, it's about risk, right? It's about trying to avoid doing our best to get the right number of games in for a season while avoiding putting our players and our supporters in inclement weather. Yeah. And then stadiums as well then. If there's going to be CFL involvement, they've obviously got wonderful stadiums just now. Some of the this, the newer places coming in, like we've seen plans for the Halifax one, which looks magnificent. But it's going to be a very different size of stadiums throughout the league are you looking at having a, a minimum sort of capacity requirement uh yeah well and, and you know that's 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 driven by two things one is the canadian standard for division one or tier one uh status and the other is um what is required in order for a team to be financially financially feasible yeah so the right number is is somewhere between sorry the right minimum would be about 7,000 seats, maybe, uh, or 7,000 spaces. Yeah. You know, in Halifax, they've got some really cool areas where you can stand and watch the game, so I shouldn't say seats. Um, and uh, and I think the right number for us, for our, you know, we call it our first generation of, uh, you know, the first 10 or 15 years of our league, the right number is somewhere between um, nine and 15,000 seats. However, I'm very bullish that places like Hamilton and Winnipeg will sell more than that in their venues, um, and and therefore they'll be able to have a great atmosphere and a great fan experience on match day. And obviously, you've you've mentioned that there's the groups that have expressed interest. We've heard rumours out here that there's a couple of groups that are interested. Obviously, there's a, a big difference between showing interest and actually putting up the money. But 
I, I, ideally, would you love to see a team in every province or pretty much every province? And how much is, is local rivalries going to kind of play into where you put teams? Um, the way I put it, I, I, I suppose you could say ideally I'd love to see in every province, but there are some provinces, you know, when I think of Prince Edward Island and Charlottetown, yeah. and their, their, um, their population outside of the summer months is quite small. And, uh, uh, you know, and there's the economy of the nation as well, and certain areas of the nation have a tougher go of it than others, and uh, so all of those things combined, is, I, I, I wouldn't go down the road of stating with provinces, but here I'll, I'll say, I think that we ought to be viable in communities of 200,000 people, so that that gives you a sense, you know, there's, there's about, I think, 30 cities across the country that fit that number, and uh, of course not all of them are going to be lining up to, to build a stadium and, and have a team. But I think that gives us a lot of runway. If we can keep our, like I keep saying, if we can keep our expenses under control and understand a long-term vision for our league, then we can, um, we can start to work within that framework. And, of course, the opportunity that that then creates is to have multiple teams in some communities. So if you've got a community of a million people, well, you could have an east and a west or a north and a south team in that community, and uh, and they still have a catchment area of about 500,000 people, which would put them in a, a great position to be feasible and have some success, and of course then start to drive local derbies. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think traveling support is an essential part of being a supporter in global football, and uh, one of the things that drove us crazy at Toronto FC when I was there was you know, before Montreal came into the league, our nearest opponent was a seven and a half hour drive away. Yeah. That's, that's you know, you can't drive for seven and a half hours without falling off Scotland, right? So yeah. <laughs> you, you uh, in, in just about every European and South American nation, there's, there's lots of opportunity for traveling support. And I really want to foster that opportunity here in Canada to the extent that we can. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this, Paul. Everything you've said, hopefully everyone that's been listening is as excited about the potential of this as, as I am. I, I'll admit, when it was first mentioned, I was a little bit sceptical just because of the MLS monopoly and like MLS is in, in the three big cities. But then you see the passion of, of supporters all across the country. And then I've been heavily involved with TSS Rovers this year and it's, it's just given me so much excitement for grassroots sport again and seeing things starting from the way up. And you're doing a fantastic job. I like how you're engaging the supporters and I wish you nothing but the best for success for this. Well, thank you very much. And, and you know, you, TSS is a perfect example of a club that has uh, wrapped themselves in the flag. And they've yeah. said it, uh, it's important to us to, um, to have the maple leaf on our back or on our chest and uh, and that's one of our purposes for existing, and and again, I think I think the supporters are drawn to that. And it, you know, how long have you been in Canada? Ten years now. Ten years. So when you arrived in Canada, I think Canada was sheepishly proud of being Canada. Yeah. And some somehow in the last ten years, we've become aggressively proud. We're yeah. we're more vocal. We are we're more fiercely proud. We're less willing to sit in any other nation's shadow and I think that is a very positive and optimistic view of things and uh, and again TSS Rovers are delivering on that now they're saying yep 
it is a virtue to be Canadian, and we are going to help contribute to the improvement of the game. And uh, and like I said, I think it's I think it's paying off. I think supporters agree and believe in that. And and it's not all about wins; it's about what you're doing. Yeah. So so you know, just on a grander scale, that's what we're doing in in the Canadian Premier League. I've seen the enthusiasm that, like, Vancouver is a very cynical marketplace sometimes, and they they often don't support the minor league teams to the extent that you wish they would. And, like, the support that TSS's game plan has produced with the local talent and everything, it's been great to see here. And I know that if you can get that here, then it's going to be even way, way bigger in some of the smaller communities around Canada. So, good luck with everything. Thank you so much for your time, and it's been a pleasure speaking to you, Paul. Excellent. Thanks for having me on. Cheers. Paul Byrne there, and great for him to spend that time chatting to us. Can I... Letting us know what was fact, what is fiction, what's just speculation. You can follow Paul on Twitter at Paul Byrne. That's P-A-U-L-B-E-I-R-N-E. So a lot for us to, to chat about. And I guess the first thing we, we should really look at is location of teams. Now, he mentioned there that there's been 10 expressions of interest. And there's a big difference between expressing interest and ponying up a million, 1.5 million, for example. But, I mean, it's good that there's 10 expressions of interest. He's hoping that all of those will be, become teams. We're hoping that there's maybe going to be one out here in BC. The only two just now that's been confirmed are a team in Hamilton and a team in Winnipeg. Paul mentioned they're looking at cities with a population of at least 200,000. And in big metropolis areas of over a million He's not against having two teams there, maybe one in the north of the city, south, east, west, something like that. Where would you like to see the, the teams, Zach? Like, if we're looking at initially at six or we're looking at eight, where would you like these teams to be? Yeah, again, I think it's got to be eight. But So we, we have Winnipeg, we have Hamilton. I think there ideally will be one in the province of Saskatchewan. Yeah, for sure. I think ideally there will be two in the province of Alberta, ideally Edmonton and Calgary, in one way, shape, or form. Uh, there. Well, you got in Calgary. You got the the that club, the the Foothills. The Foothills so, yeah, yeah. The, so they would be a good I, people to uh, get this going. And they wanted a WFC two team before. Yeah, but have they got that money to to pony up? I mean, that, that's that's the thing. We we talked about. Th- there's a number of great existing clubs out there. KW United, for example, Kitchener, Waterlooville. It's a great area. It's a great club. They've done so much. They've won a PDL championship right away. You'd have a big rivalry with. Hamilton, maybe not Thunder Bay. I actually looked to see where that was on the map. <laughs> you found out. Eh? I, I now know how far away that is. <laughs> they would be good with Winnipeg if you think of it. They're they're very yeah. close to Winnipeg. Um, but what I what the thing I like the, what I would like them to do is you know how you have the like for example the foothills right that whoever wants to own the club use them as your base kind of use them as your foundation and kind of work together 
And so whoever's got whoever's the money person yeah. brings those people in, and then that way you you know you got soccer people and you got the business people. Yeah, and if, that would be ideal. He, and he talked about TSS, and I think it, I don't know. I and you you might not even know this is my club, but if that would work, if somebody would go to TSS to go be our partners in the CPL, I think that would be ideal too. It, yeah. For example, let's talk about Calgary. So if, if Calgary, if the if foothills. Are not able to, as you as you were talking about, Michael. If they were not able to financially be the people who are uh, want to have the club, own and operate the club. Yeah, I agree with you, Steve. The, ne- the, the kind of the next best thing is: could they be? Could they provide the structure of the club below the first team? And that's where I think that there's a great possibility of, of something like that happening. I, I definitely think that's the way forward. Clubs like the Foothills, they've got their academy. TSS, they've got their academy. If we're looking at BC, Victoria seems a, a great potential market. They already have a name, the Highlanders. Yeah, and I mean they, they've got teams going at different levels as well. I think in, in, you could pro- e- easily have a team in, somewhere in the greater Vancouver area. Uh, Langley's shown that they can support WFC2 to a certain extent. Um, uh, You've got Swan Guard. Who's is just sitting there to have a team there? So you got those kind of locations. I think Okanagan, if you get a central location, Kelowna, Penticton, well, Kelowna Campus, and Kamloops—they've had teams in the PCSL in the past. Yeah. So if if you can somehow get Not a central and make it like an Okanagan team where everybody comes yeah. together, maybe you can do that. I don't know how much Kelowna hates Kamloops. Kamloops hates Kelowna. I don't know if that's an issue, but and then Ontario—you were talking about that, but you got Ottawa too. Ottawa is a potential city that yeah. could be in there. I, I cannot see the Ottawa Fury not being a part of this. Yeah. This is where we're talking bef- in the section before the, the second part of the interview, Steve, when when you're talking about, oh, I think there should be a set number of teams for two or three years. Yeah. Well, Ottawa, the Ottawa situation, I think, is a little bit awkward because they made a deal with the USL without getting it ratified by the CSA. Um, so I think they're committed to USL for three years. So it's can like that, TSS are committed to PDM right. for three years. So can that be broken for Ottawa to join the thing, or do they have to wait until that three-year period is done? That's what, what they wait until twenty twenty. What are the financials see, around that? Like, well, yeah. that, see, that's the difference. Like TSS, they could still do a PDL team for the younger guys totally. and or the college guys, and, and then have a, a professional team as well. And so, la- I mean, that that could work. And as far as I understand, similar to Foothills, yeah, they could provide the club structure below the first team for. Uh, a team that might be in, in the lower mainland, and then you got Quebec. Quebec has uh, you can yeah. do a suburb of Montreal somewhere. Uh, Quebec maybe, City for me would have to be the the place. Well, you could even go a suburb of Montreal clo- that would be close to Ottawa, um, and be a rivalry there. So, so we, we were talking about this, I think, during the break or whatever. But one thing that's important, yeah, when you're talking about uh, the lower mainland, you're talking about Montreal or the area, or even around Toronto. I think something that's been out there or at least been, you know, some people speculating about and there's been different things is I think I don't think this this uh the CPL wants to have any connection to the MLS teams in any kind of way shape or form at this time. Yeah, as in Whitecaps 2 would not be joining no. the Canadian PL. Right. I don't think the Whitecaps 2 that, doesn't I think want that's to right. either. I think that's good especially when you look at um oh, what's his name? Is Bill Bennett? I I'm, the, the guy in TS the guy at TFC. Uh I might be getting his name wrong, but the guy who came from uh, Salt Lake to TFC, he's like their general manager or uh, president or whatever. 
Anyways, he's given some interviews where it's like, oh, yeah, we would like to put TFC3 in this league. And it's kind of like. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's uh-huh. like it's incredibly yeah. disrespectful. And, and then like, he also came out and said, look, there's not enough room. Yeah, there's not enough room. Yeah. In, then, in Toronto for more than one team. They, there they clearly just, is. They just don't want com- competition. Yeah. I mean, NBC, we, we've, we've heard from a number of sources now that there is very likely to be a team in the lower mainland. Fraser Valley area does look to be the place that, that it is going to happen in. We, we've heard murmurs. We can't go into too much details. We hoped we could possibly get a, a little bit of information out on the show tonight, but we've not been able to do that. But there is advanced talks with at least one group about bringing a, a team here to the, the lower mainland, which would be fantastic. Well, and it totally from a totally biased perspective, as someone who lives in the Fraser Valley, if that were to happen... I'd be over the moon. I'd be over the moon. I'd put my money on Langley for that. But of course, the, the big thing with all this is stadiums as well. And what you don't want is a bunch of white elephants getting built that's not used and then the, the team doesn't fill them. We've seen it, like in, in the UK, you have to have in non-league level a minimum structure and a minimum seating capacity and facilities and stuff. And that bankrupts a number of teams with them having to spend money to get that number of seats. And Paul talked there that ideally maybe 7,000 seats. The plans that came out for Halifax kind of showed 6,000 seats. But I think he said 7,000 capacity, so seats and standing. And he's looking ideally that a lot of the clubs would maybe hit nine to 15,000 supporters. Maybe in the bigger cities, not in the smaller ones that we're talking about. I That'd do think it is a big ask to yeah. try and get that number of fans in, especially in the early going. Some markets, definitely, if there's nothing else happening like Halifax, it's the only professional team there. That would make perfect sense. Like even even a, a city like uh, Hamilton might be able to draw that. Well, um, Hamilton has the the stadium. They have a stadium. Yeah. Right? Although and we're going to come to Hamilton yeah. later yeah. on the show. So Win- we'll Winnipeg's got that. a stadium. Uh, the, the, if it's Regina, Regina's got a stadium. Obviously, uh, so I think there's the stadium is not really that big of a deal. Um, I think the the big thing will be um, getting that audience, and I I think they're if they're going for a nine to fifteen, I think they're shooting a little too high. Um, I don't even think you need that much initially. I think five to six would be plenty for the first little bit. I think this ties back into what you said earlier in the show, Michael, and that is that you want this to launch well. Yes. So if you're building these pop-up stadiums, which you can change later on. Yeah, and and they look fantastic, a lot of them. I mean, you saw that with the WFC2 playing at Phoenix last night. Fantastic little pop-up stadium that Phoenix have put up. So if if you build a stadium that's, let's say, six to eight or six to 9,000, is it not better to have that jam packed full than yep. to like build for twelve to fifteen and totally. then that's exactly it, it's like my like there's only five, six, seven, eight in it, right? Yeah. Like yeah. so I think I think there's I think there's wisdom in in taking this slowly yet trying to build stadiums that are uh, you know, they. I've heard a lot of these people. Paul Paul Byrne is one. I've heard a lot of people talk about how this needs to be. Highly connected to supporters, yeah, and I hope driven they, by fans yeah. is a, a phrase he's used several times. Exactly, and I hope that they take that into account when they put these stadiums together. Yeah, well, if I, you have the big stadiums and less crowds, you could always have sheets. Uh, you could always just get sheets and just you know drape. Chivas, the end? No, no, like you know, with the Whitecaps have those sheets that go. Oh, around yeah, the, they could just yeah, cover, tarp. tarp, tarp, whatever. Just you know, Chivas, do you remember Chivas? Yeah, yeah, they did the whole end. With yeah, the, there's more tarps and fans there yeah. towards the end. Yeah. The, the, the other key thing for me 
is rivalries. And I think it's important the league will thrive if 100%. fans can go and travel easily to watch their well, away games. Well, Chris, Chris on Twitter um, uh, mentions that it's seven and a half hour drive from Winnipeg yeah. to Thunder Bay. Now, we know that. It's, a li- it's still further. But, but <laughs> Michael, <laughs> I don't know if you remember, Michael two weeks ago said that Thunder Bay would be a good rival with Hamilton. Hamilton. <laughs> so that's a little bit more of a drive than seven and a half hours. Oh, man. Last thing to, to talk about in this little section then. Do you want to see a single table eventually building up to, say, an Eastern-Western thing? Or would you like to see the league split in two early on and try and get more teams in it right away? Well, like I said, my initial thing would be eight to ten teams. But as a single league? Uh, no, as a, as, a, as a split. So an East and a West. Yes, and then you would play, essentially, your Western teams, would like your conference teams, would play each other four times in the season. And you'd play the opposite conference two times a year. So that, that reduces travel I, as well. I, this is where I would totally disagree. If you're having six to eight teams or six to ten teams, let's keep it single table. They're, they're, they, they, talk a lot of, they talk a lot about, hey, if we, if we get past 16, then let's talk about uh, doing more than one, one division where there's movement between the two. If they're talking like real in, in a, the traditional football sense in that way, then if you're having 10 or less teams, it needs to be single table. Let's not have this I like agree, – yeah. I think there's a lot of people who look at what's done with the CFL as a bit of a joke of the yep. East and the West and there's nine teams or – is it nine? I think nine. I think eight, it is nine. Eight, nine. eight or nine teams. Like it's – I don't think that's the best. No. I, for me, it has to be single table as well. It just legitimizes it when you've got that small number of teams. Look – to, you maybe get 12 teams or more and then you can maybe do a, a couple of different divisions I do like how the USL have it regionalised east and west but you're talking 30 teams there yeah and you're never going to get up and to 30 also, you're never no. going to get up to th- the maximum teams I think you're going to get here is 12 I think the CPL will be no bigger than 12 teams like, well they know, are talking as well time. like a fluidity and that teams can maybe move up and down and then you're looking at things like League 1 Ontario and maybe if there is a, a D3 league yes. here which they, they put a proposal out for BC Soccer and then nobody came yeah, forward Yeah, I don't see it. that happening. I don't well, see people teams going up and th- down There is rumours that they're in talks just now with the VMSL about making the VMSL their sort of League One Ontario league here. No, I, I, one thing, Steve, I think it's going to be hopefully gonna al- work, ultimately then. more than 12 teams eventually. But the one thing there was why the USL, I think, works regionally is because it's, 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 not, the top, it's not the top tier. Right, like you, you look at country. Yeah. You look at like a country like Germany. Yeah, when you get to the fourth division, it's regionalized, right? Like, and so that makes sense at the lower levels, but at the top, and this is what this is supposed to be—the top level of club football in our country. It needs to be a single table. Now, if you're going to do that, where you can do a single table and everybody's playing each other equally, that's a lot of travel. If you're going to do that, you need partnership. And the biggest partnership you need to reduce travel there, and this is no joke at all, you need one of the airlines to yeah. be a major partner. Air so you Canada, can, WestJet has to get involved. Yeah, you have to get the that's, uh, just to reduce the travel costs. Yeah, where you know you put their logo on everybody's jersey or something like that in order to yeah. do that. Easy now. Yeah, or or somewhere on the jersey, now, maybe <laughs> maybe a certain spot on the jersey or something. Like Surely that. BMO will be on two or three at least. All bound to be. <laughs> no, I mean maybe maybe put maybe put the, the league wide. Sponsor yeah. on they, one yeah. part on, of the jersey. On the, on the, it could on be the side, yeah. yeah. Side, the back, whatever. Yeah. But we're going to be back with more Canadian Premier League talk after this.
That's the Batman theme, obviously, you can hear there. Uh, Adam West, may you rest in peace. He was uh, the initial guy that got me into comics. Anybody knows me, I'm big time into comics. Another guy who kind of got me back, not into comics, but into soccer, because I kind of, in 2006, uh, got off soccer, kind of got into, uh, well, I had a kid and everything like that, so that took a lot of time. Uh, 2006, actually, the last game I saw was the Whitecaps winning the, the championship that year. And then I kind of watched it 2008, but really wasn't into it. 2010, at the World Cup, I got into it. Then I discovered a podcast called Some Canadian Guys Talking About Soccer. It was very entertaining. Those guys were really good. One of the guys that really was good, Daniel Squizzato, um, we talked to him. Um, he's been kind of in on the CPL, giving it his advice, his uh, his knowledge on, on what Canadian soccer is all about. So we, we went over and talked to him and decided to find out what he thought of the league and what he's heard of it so far. So the first question, what he thought about the league and from the initial uh, Easton report to how it, the announcement went and how confident was he in how it's going so far? Uh, well, I, I, I'm tending to try to remain as positive as possible uh, about all of it, uh, just because this is something that those of us in the Canadian soccer community have been thinking about and hoping for for a while now. Uh, when it comes to concerns, I think one concern that still exists for people is, as you mentioned there, the Eastern Report, which came out a number of years ago, and that was uh, a part of the CSA's effort to establish what the landscape would look like and what the potential would look like for some kind of uh, men's professional league. Um, what's interesting is that the findings of the Eastern Reporter or the conclusions that were reached, and for the sake of full disclosure, I was involved in the Eastern Report as in I was a person in the Canadian soccer community whose opinions were asked, so just so folks know, I have that involvement there. But um, uh, its findings suggested that the best, approach for the CSA if they were looking for a men's league would be similar to the Canadian Hockey League model in terms of a D3 league that had regional leagues that then filtered up to a kind of Memorial Cup style uh, championship. I don't recall if that was like Memorial Cup was in there, but that generally was the conclusion that it was reached. So it was interesting when more and more information started coming out about the Canadian Premier League that it wouldn't necessarily be following that model, that it would be uh, coming across as like, nope, this is a this is a, a, a D1 Canadian league or D2 or however they decide to to uh, define it. Um, that would that would be, as far as we know, a coast to coast league. And that being said, you know we don't know anything official official at this point beyond, of course, a thing called the Canadian Premier League has been approved to exist, and that it'll have teams in Hamilton and Winnipeg. Um, even those of us who have been following this closely for years uh, still are uncertain about what we can definitely pin down uh, one way or the other. And I think that, honestly, that could be because the stakeholders behind the scenes are still, you know, dotting the I's, crossing the T's, and figuring out exactly how this will look. So um, I think that it's definitely worthwhile, and I assume that they have been, uh, for the folks at the DSA and the folks involved in this to consider the findings of the Eastern Report. Um, that being said, if they have a group of, of ownership groups on board that see a different model working out even better and, and they've got the money and the time and the backing to, uh, to try and make it work, then I think that that could be exciting as well. You wrote an article recently on Vice um, about the do's and don'ts that you were looking forward to or for the CPL. 
if there was one do and one don't that you really wish that they would do when they start this um, league, what, what would they be? Uh, well, one big, one big do and a big don't. I think um, a, a big, uh, it, it's kind of a do and a don't put together. Uh, as in, do have everything lined up, don't launch it prematurely. There has been talk of, uh, you know, because those of us in the community have been kind of chomping the bit saying, oh, is it going to launch 2017, then 2018, then 2019? And there have been talk, there has been talk, well, maybe they'll have sort of a half season next year in 2018 in the fall with, you know, only a few teams involved, and, you know, kind of like a, uh, what do you call it, like a soft open for, for a restaurant, and then they'll do the full launch the following year. Uh, personally, I think that is a very bad idea. I think that if they're going to do this, uh, they need to come out full strength or as strong as possible. They need to come out right from the get-go by telling people, this is our season, this is when it begins, this is when it ends, these are the teams that are involved, this is how it's going to look. I think that having a, a shortened season with you know, uh, only some of the teams involved, again, this is all just rumors and whispers, so maybe they're not even considering this, but uh, I think that that would send out uh, send out a bad message because there are so many people, and I still fail to understand why, but there are so many people in this country that are going to come out of the woodwork and that are just waiting for the opportunity and, and a reason to look at this league and say, ah, oh, it's not going to work, it shouldn't exist, it's going to fail. You know, these, these so-called, you know, air quotes, soccer fans in Canada who, uh, I put soccer fans in quotation marks because strangely they seem to want anything associated with actual Canadian soccer to fail. I mean, you know, they'll they'll get very interested in foreign soccer, but Canadian soccer, oh, oh no, can't, can't, uh, can't actually believe in that or have anything go forward with that. And so I think that, you know, those people won't, some of them will just never be convinced. But for, you know, that's a small, that's a minority of Canada. A minority of Canada is also us on the other side who are the hardcores, totally invested, totally engaged. What the CPL needs to be concerned about is that big majority in the middle between those two camps. You don't necessarily have a feeling one way or the other about the CPL, but are potentially willing to be convinced. And for the sake of those people, they need to come out strong. They need to put their best foot forward right from the start, look like they know what's going on, and, and put forward the best product possible. I hate saying product, but it is what it is. Uh, in the hopes that these people are like, okay, yeah, this league is for real, and this is something that I want to invest my uh, emotional energy and financial investment into as well a lot of people are talking about uh where the locations are and everything like that and obviously two are already confirmed there's other rumored but the big uh, a lot of the mainstream media is talking about can this survive without the big three cities that the mls teams are in so do they does cpl need vancouver montreal and toronto or can they kind of be like a little bit further away from them and but still be in the area would that work better well, it's interesting. I was I was talking to Peter Montopoli, the general secretary of the CSA, a few weeks ago for another CPL themed story that I wrote for Vice, and um, this didn't make it into the the final piece. But one of the things he was saying to me, because I actually asked him that, I said, is, you know, if we're looking at a league that launches without Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, is this something that can realistically survive in, with no offense meant to the people who live in these cities, secondary markets? Um, and, and he was a little bit coy about it. He said, you know, you know, uh, it's not as though these provinces, Ontario, BC, and Quebec, uh, you know, it's not as though they won't be without soccer. They'll still have their MLS teams. And he kind of alluded to the possibility of there being 
teens possibly on the, I think, outskirts was the word that he used. I don't want to quote him directly, but it's something along those lines, uh, which made me think that, you know, I mean, in the case of Toronto, obviously, we've got a Hamilton team, which is not that far away. Uh, you know, Montreal, there's been musings about the possibility of a team in Quebec City. When it comes to Vancouver, you know, there's talk about the potential of, a, you know, a team in, in Victoria, you know, whether it's the, the, the Highlanders group or a different group uh, emerging there, or even if it weren't Victoria, you know, possibly in the, in, in the suburbs of Vancouver. I mean, just based on, based on the mood around a lot of Whitecaps fans at present, I don't know, and, and just, you know, the way that fans in, in Vancouver have uh, embraced, you know, the Whitecaps too, and, and even like TSS Rovers, which recently launched in the PDL, um, you know, I feel like if a team suddenly appeared in, you know, in Richmond or something like that, and, and um, fans have something to get behind. This is just me spitballing, by the way. I'm not saying there will be a team in Richmond. I'm just throwing something out there. Yeah, but I, I, I think that what Montopoli and, and Victor Montagliani behind, uh, before him have said is that uh, their confidence comes from the strength of the ownership groups and the business model, and there's a bit of uncertainty about what they mean by that, whether it's you know, something that looks vaguely like MLS, some kind of single entity structure, like, or, you know, who knows? But but they did seem confident that these groups that are getting involved, which we see in Hamilton and Winnipeg, are CFL-backed, you know, CFL-associated groups who have that that history and, and that experience with sports sports marketing, whether there's chances for, oh, God, I'm doing it again, uh, leveraging their brands or cross-branding or whatever the case may be with the Blue Bombers, with the Tiger Cats, with... You know, uh, if, if there is a team in, in Saskatchewan, you know, uh, or, or in Calgary or, or in these other places with CFL teams, if there's a link there, that gives that strength. So I, I would hope and I would think that given the, the time and effort and groundwork that's put into this, that all the stakeholders involved understand what this is and what it isn't. And, and I would think that uh, they, I would hope anyway, that they all have an idea of what this league is and isn't going to be right off the hop and that they're ready to... Uh, be involved and, and give this league the time it will take to to grow because it's not going to instantly, you know, transform the Canadian sporting landscape. Um, but if given time to 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 grow and and become a big part of the the culture in these cities, then I think that there definitely is a, a roadmap for success for this league. Uh, the players that are, are rumored to be coming in um, the, the, for this league are players that aren't getting enough playing time, um, aren't getting aren't getting a team. It, it, you follow TFC quite a bit, is, or is there a player that you can re- recollect in the past that might have benefited from this, or maybe not TFC, maybe some other uh, uh, somebody else that impressed you that, but you were wondering why is this guy getting time, and then all of a sudden he's out of soccer completely. Yeah, it's, uh, there's uh, you know there's been a number of uh, players, uh, TFC Academy uh, graduates over the years that were signed by the first team and you know almost as quickly kind of vanished uh, from the team. You know, two really recent examples are guys like Chris Manella and, and Quillen Roberts. Chris Manella was the captain at TFC two. He was signed to the homegrown player deal. I think it was in 2016 and, or 2015. And then, you know, before you knew it, it was gone from TFC organization. Quillen Roberts, the goalkeeper who, you know, again, was with the academy for a long time, was kind of nibbling around the edges, got a few quick looks with the senior team, uh, but then was, uh, was gone as well. Uh, those guys aren't gone from soccer, but they're both playing in League One Ontario, which is the semi-pro 
league that launched a few years ago and, and, and has been kind of a, a, a you know, catchment basin for some of these players that um, have been through an MLS academy but for whatever reason didn't quite crack it with the first team. You know, there's guys like Oscar Cordon and Matt Stinson who will be recognizable names to very hardcore TFC fans who, who are in a league like League One Ontario, the goal of which is to push Canadian players that next step in their career. These are the kind of guys who, if CPL were a thing, you'd see them playing in CPL. Another name who had uh, some brief experience with uh, with uh, TFC is a guy named David Monsalve, a goalkeeper who, you know, he's, uh, he's been in Finland, he's been in South America, he's kind of been all over the world, a lot of fans kind of... Uh, keeping an eye on him, thinking like, oh, maybe he'll get a shot with Canada because he's had success where he's gone. You know, and, and, and he tweeted a couple days ago, like, you know, CPL is something he, he would want to be a part of. Uh, and, and I think that the benefit of this is uh, players who are kind of, as I said, nibbling around the edges in, in different places around the world, if you can get them all in the same place, in the same league, in a league where they know that they're going to be supported and, and where they know that they're going to get an opportunity – that's just going to make it more and more appealing for players to continue pursuing the game because there is there is the reality that, look, uh, having the academy in Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal have provided plenty of opportunities for young Canadian players that wouldn't have existed otherwise. I think it's kind of impossible to dispute that. Uh, the reality is, though, there are only so many spots on the senior team. So these guys either fall out of the game entirely or they – kind of have to try and make it kind of around the edges of, of the professional game. I mean, I look at a guy, to use the BC example, uh, a guy like Caleb Clark, who came up with the, the, the Whitecaps residency, uh, and he's kind of bounced back and forth. He's played in, in kind of you know lower levels, like you know, we're talking like third, fourth, fifth division in Germany, which absolutely, if you're trying to crack it in Europe, you know, you got to get your foot in the door somewhere. But if a player like him came back, played in the CPL, and hey, if there was a team in Richmond, it'd be perfect for him. I'm not saying there is, I'm just picking a city. Uh, you know, to, to, to get that experience and, and to be there on a more prominent stage, you know, uh, then that could potentially be the launching pad for them to, okay, maybe he goes back and he's playing second division in Germany. You know, and, and so I think that the idea that CPL is going to make superstars out of every Canadian player is not realistic and it's also not the purpose. The idea is that when you have those opportunities for as many players as possible to remain in the game, build up their skills, build up their profile for as long as possible, that's going to build up the player pool for the national team, which is only, you know, only going to make things better. The top, top, top players, the ones that are destined to be, you know, Atiba Hutchinson, these guys that are playing top level in Europe, they'll make their way through regardless. But the problem for Canada has not been that we've never had a few high-profile players. The problem is that we've had a few high-profile players and then a whole bunch of uncertainty beneath them. When we cure that uncertainty, that is hopefully what it's going to take to help get Canada back to the World Cup at long last. Perfect there. Th- thanks for your time. Before we let you go, um, where can everybody find you at online? Well, uh, now that my month-long Twitter sabbatical is done, they can find me back on there. Uh, I will hopefully be doing some Gold Cup coverage uh, this place or the other, but generally speaking, uh, you can find my stuff at MLSsoccer.com, Vice Canada, uh, 442, uh, a couple of different places, or, of course, uh, Twitter, or if I'm feeling particularly up to it, maybe even on the Voyager's message board, if you want to drop by there every now and again. That's kind of dangerous to be on there sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it is, especially this time of year, so I take that back. No one no one go to the V's message board. It's, 
Thanks a lot there. Yeah, you got it. Thanks. So, Daniel Squizato there. Always great to have Squiz on the show. A lot of stuff to, to talk about that, that came out of that interview, and we'll kick things off. We kind of talked about it with Paul and then with Squiz there as well, but the, the player pool, where are the players going to come from? Out of the woodwork. And one of the the big places, I guess, that the players are going to come from are the MLS teams academies. Yeah. MLS players that haven't maybe made the grade, and I'm sure we can all think of quite a few of those. Yeah, well, in the past, yeah. They're, they're, like we, I asked Daniel, like, did you know any players in the past? And I think... Uh, like for example, a guy who might have benefited, you know, all these guys could be late bloomers. That's the thing, and you don't know who's going to be that late guy coming out of nowhere. Um, like a guy like Yasinessa, who showed a lot of promise in uh, in in the in the residency. Another guy who is who is on the opposite side was Spencer Du Bois, who could have, you know, maybe maybe the, the eighteen to twenty one age wasn't the greatest for him, and maybe he just needed to keep playing. And then by twenty three, twenty four, then he would have been. Maybe something there for each one of those guys. I, I think Spencer does real estate now. Well, he he was red-shirted in his first year at SFU and then released from SFU. And he went to possibly Douglas, but he went to one of the other local colleges anyway. Yeah. Yasin Essa is in VMSL with Pegasus. But, I mean, a question that you asked, like players that we've seen through the years where there wasn't anywhere for them to go before USL existed... We were talking about this on the phone, Steve. You, you had a couple of Whitecaps guys like Adam Palakovic. Yeah, another one, yeah. Yeah, he, he was with KW, KW United, yeah. won a PDL championship. Same with Wesley Kane. Wesley De- Kane, another one. Yeah, Declan yeah. Rodriguez. He's, he, play, he's playing in uh, Milwaukee Torrent. Yes. Yeah. He came and played a little bit of VMSL with Richmond and then went back to Milwaukee where he had also played his college, college and yeah. stuff as well. They love him there. Yes. And, I mean, these players, you're going to think they're going to come back to Canada if the money's good, which we hear is going to be quite a good salary. Is the league, though, going to be a big enough lure for, say, current internationals? Do you see in the early stages, now it might change five years down the line or whatever, but in the early stages, do you see this league being a league of choice over, say, MLS? It's a little bit difficult to say because we don't know all the parameters exactly around what the what the what the the salary packages kind of will be, but um, I think there will be a number. I think I can I, sorry I can see there being a number of players who want to give back to football in Canada and want to play a role in helping this league develop. So you're thinking possibly older ones and not guys like say Russell Tybert who. I think he could probably be good enough to play in Canadian PL. <laughs> well, well, he's already contributing to Canadian football. Is he? Can you give me an example? Okay, moving on. See, no examples. <laughs> well, he's 2015, 2015 player of the tournament for the Voyagers Cup. That was not his best season, though. If anyone heard your chat with him early in the year. But no, it's I mean, true. Russell Tiber is the kind of guy that might end up in Canadian Premier League. Well, I, th- I think what you're gonna, initially what you're going to have is you're going to have a lot of older players 
can maybe coming back from Europe that want to keep playing or MLS that want to keep playing. And you're going to have a lot of younger Young players, players that want to really get into yep. that. And As I you- mentioned, the CIS draft, that's yeah. a chance to, to get some of these college guys that would otherwise have maybe fallen through the cracks. We've got one at WFC2 and Dominic Zater. Mm. We had Brett Levis as well. But there's a lot of... A lot of these players just they finish their college career in CIS. And there's nowhere and to go. It. There's nowhere to go. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we, we talked about team locations and stuff. I mean, we we haven't heard yet whether unattached FC are keen to to put a team <laughs> yeah. into the Canadian Premier League. That could be a team to do. Stacked with internationals, apparently, as well. Well, you know, naming your naming your football club and all the things that go with that, and your crest, your logo, your badge, are very very important. So maybe someone will see that as a. An available, awesome name. It would be. UA could sponsor them as well. Get a little film contract going. But salary cap is going to be important in this league. And, of course, we don't know what it is. A lot of the the owners or potential owners, they've talked that they are prepared to to spend up to the cap. What would that cap be, though? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. We've heard... Not something we discussed with Paul, but I mean, there's been rumours that the minimum wage in the league is going to be higher than what the, the MLS minimum wage is, for example. That seems... I think the rosters will be smaller. That's a, that's a good thing, though. I, I don't mind that. Oh, I think it's a good thing. I just... I It's I, going to be... It's yeah, hard I'm to believe sure. at this point. Yeah, yeah I agree I, with that. I, th- I think... I'm thinking like 40,000 minimum would be good for a young player. Uh, 40,000 would be solid. If they get to 50, that's even better. But I think 40 is good enough, especially if... The season's truncated in like maybe a six month season, a five or six month season. I think that's better because I don't think you should go extend into the winter months for sure. Oh well, um, yeah, let, let's talk about that then. When ideally do you see the the league taking place? Because the weather across Canada is so varied, you can't really play decent football in the winter months. I mean, we've seen some farcical games in MLS, Caps and Salt Lake. Minnesota, Atlanta at the start of the year. You don't want that. Yeah, you're going to get it once in a while because, you know, I was once in Edmonton in August and it snowed. I, so, I was once in Edmonton in May for a football match and it, it snowed. snowed. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, but I think if it's anything like a 30 game or less season with a couple playoff games in a championship, I think from April to September would be ideal for me. When the, the, you, a maximum. Yeah, I yeah, think it, even if you can make it even shorter, even make it shorter. I, I like April to September. This goes back to the number of teams, uh, the number number of clubs, number of games, and number of games each. Yeah. So if somehow they want to do this with six teams, which I would say is ill advised, but there was going to be six teams. You're, it feels to me like you have five opponents. You're going to play them four times each, so you have at least twenty games. Uh, so you know the number of games, number of t- number of clubs, number number of games is going to dictate how long you need the season. Also, what will dictate is how willing you are to play, let's say, midweek matches, right? Like yes. we were assuming this will be these will be weekend matches. Yeah, but just how many of travel? Yeah. primarily, unless I say there was a team in Victoria and a team in Langley, for example, and then the Halifax team came out, they could possibly do a Sunday and a Wednesday or, or a Saturday Thursday and a Tuesday, or, yeah, or, yeah. Like or like the. Or, like the old USL days, a Friday and a Sunday. Yeah. Then I feel you're not, your league's not a legitimate league. If you're playing like that, I mean, PDL Squad rotation, does it. squad yeah. rotation. You're going to have to squad Yeah, but I think these squads are going to be considerably smaller than the if, 28 if, to 30 MLS. If you're wanting think, to be a D1 think, league, you can't play that amount of games in a short period of time. you got to have I, three days between. Yeah. I think you got to have 20, uh, 25 people for the roster. I think you need to, especially if you, uh, I think, uh, for like for example imports um i'm willing to go to 8 or 
nine, but I would like to have even a cap on how many people get into the starting 11. Like, I think... So, uh, like, like, USL, where the Caps, two have to play six Canadians. It's something like that, where it's, like, maybe three imports in the starting 11 and the rest are Canadian. Um, and then you, if you sub an import on, you have to sub an import off. See, the nice thing about... That's the- what I would like to see, because I think you need to make this about Canadians uh, pl- getting playing time and sell that. I think that's how you're going to get a lot of people coming to the games because they're going to see that Canadians are playing. One of the positive things about about this is it feels like uh, they are taking their time and putting all this together, not f- you know for the sake of being slow, but because they want to try and get as much right. So what yeah. we heard earlier tonight I think was really important. So I know Steve has kind of rubbed you the wrong way a little bit, but the fact that they're already saying – Nothing ever rubs me the wrong way. The fact that they're already saying uh, – Paul Byrne is already saying that, hey, we will probably have an import – well, I've, I've heard him talk elsewhere where he says they don't want to put uh, a number of Canadian players, a maximum, uh, a prescribed number of Canadian players on the team because that drives up the, the their value and agents will charge more, which he experienced with when Toronto had to have eight Canadians in, in MLS in 2007 and they then had to pay those guys way more than they they were worth market value and it's messed up their roster yeah, big that time. Makes sense. So they don't want to put a cap on that, but they do they do want to have import they do want to have um import players or whatever language you want to use around that. But what he said there was really awesome. He said we we think it's going to start larger, yeah. and then we hope it will go down over time, or we will prescribe it to go down over time as we, as a league and as a country, develop more and more players. And I think you, you were, Michael, you were also mentioning that the Chinese league started that way too, where they had a lot of imports, and then yeah. they were basically but then they were spending stupid money on them as well. Well, yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe they still we'll, are. Maybe Didier Drogba will buy a club and move up here and be playing in his forties. That's possible. Yeah. Now, do do you feel playoffs are inevitable? Yes. It's a North American league. I know you guys don't like playoffs. Even if it was a six-team league, because to me that's ridiculous. Well, no, 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 maybe not playoffs, but there will be a championship game uh, where the, maybe the top team from the – or the top two teams play in the championship game if you want to have a single uh, table. I, I Personally, I would rather see something where they uh, more value is added to the, 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 the league winner. Because uh, so, if they're talking about doing things right, and they're even talking about – literally, they're talking about – one day having promotional relegation, like making sure they're thinking about that now. I would love to see that the league winner is the person who does the best over the the largest competition is the most significant winner. However, especially if things are, if there's going to be, let's say, eight teams at the beginning, and there are that may, maybe means there might be less games. I, I would rather see them have, in addition to the Voyagers Cup competition, which would be a Canadian wide, more of an open tournament, which we're already going to see. In uh, happen next year for sure, or that's what the CSA has told us. Uh, I would like to. I wouldn't mind if they had their own cup competition, whether you call it the League Cup or whatever, and that could happen after the league campaign, as opposed to at the same time as it. And everyone's in it, and maybe that's based on your league uh, rankings from that yeah, year or the year before. And I would call it a cup because basically you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting the best of traditional football, and you're also appeasing. The local culture, the local playoff culture. And final thing for this section, MLS is obviously going to announce their schedule probably before the Canadian PL1 comes out. Do you feel it's important that like a market like Hamilton, for example, that they make sure that their games do not clash with TFC home games? 
This is a really interesting one, and and I think yeah, you you probably don't want. Uh, sorry, Clash of which games? TFC, oh, Hamilton, with Hamilton, TFC. TFC. Yeah, ideally that would not be that would not be great. MLS, I think in in the past their schedule has when it's come out has fluctuated that time, so that can be something that might mess them up a little bit. The other thing is, and we've seen this. Sorry, some of us have felt this already. You've written an article about this, Michael. MLS teams are very protectionist of their local community and their the, the revenue that it provides for them. So you wrote an article about the, the Whitecaps, uh, quote-unquote, major magazine, which for me personally, it's, it's hard not to uh, – I, 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 I'm kind of in line with your thinking in the article. And for me, it was when I first saw that, because they, they actually told the supporters about it ahead of time. When we first got the information about that, it was kind of like it's hard not to see this as an affront to something like TSS and the Canadian League. Especially the language they use to describe it, uh, you yeah, know, because they're fo- making football major. Yeah, at last, it, which after being in the league. For if they six if they had started that when if they had started that in 2011, it would be fine. But yeah. doing it now makes it a reaction yeah, to what what they see happening. So Major League Soccer and their their clubs are not going to do anything to help this league. They're going to do, especially the ones in Canada, are going to do everything they can to make it difficult for them. So uh, the, the scheduling is a key thing, and how that plays out is, is very yeah. important. I say just the, when the schedule, MLS schedule comes out, which I think is now earlier, I think in yeah, it's January. Yeah, in January. Um, they, they'll have enough time to schedule that. I think you, you schedule games on – try to get Sundays to be your main day. Uh, yeah. day. That, that would be ideal, especially with like, uh, no, like the, the MLS playing a lot of their games on Saturday. Get Sunday as your regular day. If you have to – Move to a Saturday if somebody's playing on a Sunday, then do that once in a while, but get Sunday as your regular day. Because if you can schedule all the games at one time, even like a similar time, and you eventually get uh, one, maybe one game on national TV a week, you can have like where you're showing highlights from other places, and that would be ideal to get a kind of a one league system. Yeah, I mean, if they could have a weekly TV show and whatever, that'd be great as well. But we talked about Hamilton there. And Hamilton is one of the, the two cities that has been confirmed to, to have a, a Canadian PL team right now. And Hamilton were in a very strange position in that before there was a leak officially ratified, before it was announced that Hamilton were officially going to have a club, they had their own supporters group, the Barton Street Battalion. And they've been heavily promoting the game in Hamilton for quite a while now very professionally as well i've got to say you should check out their website they've got so much really professional merchandise it's fantastic do they go to any other games they've been hosting viewing parties for voyager stuff or things like that so i mean that's all been fantastic i got a chance to speak to one of the driving forces behind it james hutton just to talk about what the buzz has been like with a team coming to hamilton and how he feels it's going to do An exciting time in Canadian Premier League is now official. And you guys were in the unusual position of you launched your supporters group before, not even before there was a team, but before there was was even a league. What was behind your, your thinking of just launching the supporters group so early? That's right. It was a really unique position. 
position. We had heard enough rumors from the Spectator uh, and from other media outlets that the league was going to be a go. We hadn't had any discussion with the league or the Thai Cats. It was just there was too much buzz for it to not really be a thing, and um, we want to to get on the front foot. We we figured that there's no reason why we couldn't start now if we knew it was going to come down the road and would just kind of give us a head start. So it really was a bit of impatience on our side of things, but it was the passion as well because we are dying for a soccer team here in Hamilton. Um, you know, a local option, a cheaper option than having to travel all the way up to Toronto for a game. So yeah, we got started a year early and uh, it was received swimmingly. We got uh, a logo done within the Voyagers. We got scarves made up. Um, and those were selling lot, like hotcakes, and that's kind of when we really uh, realized that we had stumbled onto something that was going to work. Yeah, I have to say, like your your whole marketing and your your logo, the design, the, the colours appeal to me because it's the same colours as my team back in Scotland. But it's like everything about it, it's so professional, and it, you've done a fantastic job getting this set up. That, that's really kind. Uh, it was the logo was done by a man named Will. Uh, out west, and then uh, the scars were done internally as well. So we kind of tried to make a little more professional job of things when it came to the launch. And we we had our logo, but we had a week where we you know we came out with uh, a podcast we were on, and we did our website and our scarf launch and a pub night because um, it, it was just fun to build hype. I mean, everyone I found within uh, our group and, and elsewhere was kind of dying for something to sink our teeth into Canadian Premier League wise and to help kind of provide that excitement and and uh, get people talking about it was was awesome. The passion's clearly there and so many of you have been involved with the, the Voyagers in the past and as you mentioned a, a lot of you have been TFC fans. Now one, one thing I guess which everyone is going to wonder is what is what's the support for a team going to be like in Hamilton? You've got Toronto just over an hour away big fan base, like growing stadium. D- do you think people will give up watching TFC to support a local team, or is it more likely that they are going to end up supporting both clubs? I, th- I think that really resides in the Hamilton Club office's decision-making. If they can provide you know, an affordable option for good quality soccer, you know, the rumours we hear about what the salary cap's going to be like, it sounds like it's going to be a good standard of soccer. Yeah, um, And I really do think that they're is a certain type of pride that swells within the Hamilton community uh, and that's growing all the time. So I, I really do believe that, you know, Hamiltonians know how Torontonians feel about Hamilton uh, and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. And to have an extra team to stick it to Toronto, uh, I think would be awesome, especially one that can, you know, compete on a real professional level. Um, I think when you look at some of the games we've had with the Women's Friendly against England for the Women's World Cup, uh, and then we hosted all of the Pan Am Games soccer games. Those were really, really well attended. And if we can get the same kind of fans out and to buy more into the soccer culture and uh, be involved with Italian or, or beyond, then the club will do fabulously. And you, you've got the big advantage that the, the infrastructure is already there with the Thai Cats. Bob Young seems a, a fantastic guy and really loves all sport. And. Like he's been heavily involved in this from the start. Paul Byrne had mentioned to us that he's had chats with him from from 2013. H- have you guys sat down now that it's kind of been announced that Hamilton's definitely one of the, the clubs in it? And have you had a chance to sit down and, and speak to the front office about things yet? I haven't met Bob Young. I am super excited for the day when hopefully I get to. Uh, he sounds like an incredible person who 
who is also a soccer fan. I mean, he had soccer ties down in the States. Um, but I, th- I felt from the beginning that he was, he was going to be good. And, and I'm very happy that we've got the ownership we do in the tie cap. I've met Scott Mitchell just a couple of times. Um, and the few times he does, he, he's asking questions of me about you know how to shape the club and, and what the name should be and things like that. But I do meet with another gentleman within Ticats management named Kevin, and uh, he's been dynamite. We go for you know a drink probably once a month, and we just talk about what the new news is and if there's something we need to get set up, whether that be ticket prices or we're thinking about stadium uh, location where we're going to sit. We're just there's a good open dialogue between um, us and the Ticats right now, and I'm I'm very thankful for for the communication we've had. I mean that that's fantastic to hear, and, and everything that that Paul said to us is it's he wants the league to be fan driven. He wants he wants us to shape it and to to basically let him know and let the owners know what, what we're looking for. Now, obviously, you've also got the stadium there, Tim Hortons Field, as you mentioned. It's hosted some soccer games already. It looks at an ideal stadium for it. Like it's not massive. You've got what twenty four thousand, I think, capacity it is. So it's, it's not like BC Place where you're like having to, to put down weird sales and things. But what's it like watching a game there? It, it's it's actually really cool. I found that in terms of, you know, it is a CFL stadium, uh, but you go in, the sight lines are incredible. The uh, the views from kind of up above the seats on the, uh, on the decks are, are great. Um, I think it will be a stadium that we can kind of go in and make it home. I don't think there's any issues with us, you know, bringing flags in and drums and all that sort of stuff and be able to set uh, that up well. And I'm confident that the stadium will look good. It's a matter of, I think, how do the Ticats want to sell seats, if that'll be on one side, kind of like Ottawa Fury does it, or if it's a lower bowl, or if they're going to see if they can go all out and get, you know, sold-out games. Yeah. One of my big concerns in the league is travel, or primarily the costs of it, because... I know how much it costs to fly from Vancouver. Like, I'd love to go to Halifax. I'd love to go to Newfoundland, but I can fly home to the UK for cheaper. Yeah. It, do you feel that's going to kind of inhibit like fans travelling around? Like, if we had a team out here in the West, is it is it going to make it difficult for fans in Hamilton to to fly out here? Or if you have teams in Halifax and stuff, I guess it's going to be a little bit easier. I'm not concerned for fan travel. Um, and that's also coming from Hamilton, where there might be, you know, two or three local teams for me to go drive to. Yeah. Uh, if we've got Kitchener, Waterloo, maybe Toronto, Ottawa in the league, then that's going to be super easy for me to even do a weekend trip. Yeah. Which is awesome. Um, but I think I, you know, you look to MLS and you look at the fans who are making trips down to Seattle from Vancouver, or they're going from Toronto down to New England, wherever it may be, and that's being paid in American dollars. I think, from a fan perspective, this might actually be cheaper than having to travel south down to the States. Yeah, that's true. What's the buzz been like in Hamilton since the announcement was made and since it was confirmed yourselves in Winnipeg as, as the first two confirmed teams in it? Have you noticed a lot more folk talking about it? Yeah, there's been a much bigger buzz. I mean, when we started, you know, we were doing well within our own kind of soccer Voyagers community and I think people kind of knew who the battalion were and then when that you know, that first weekend in May when uh, the league was became official and Hamilton became official, that's when everything kind of um, hit press and, and felt like this this had been more real than it had been. It felt a little more tangible. Uh, so that Monday I was, you know, I'm doing all 
these conversations with local radio stations and local writers, just making sure that, you know, their facts are out there and they know what's up. And, and that's been, for me, one of the biggest successes is obviously fans will need to buy into this league, but the buzz that the local media creates, I mean, you know, TSN Hamilton talked about it two or three times in that first week. The Spectator has done, uh, and Steve Milton have done great jobs covering it uh, in press. And then, you know, people like CBC Hamilton are picking it up and other smaller places, which is great. And that, I think, as much as this will be a fan-driven league, I think the local media, more than national media, really really needs to get, get on board and, and drive that forward and create that buzz you were talking about. Yeah, hopefully they will. I, I think in... in... Markets like Hamilton, Halifax, Winnipeg, they they definitely will because I've been in Canada now for 10 years and this is probably the most exciting time in Canadian football that's happened since I've been here. So many folk are talking about it, there's a buzz. I was a little sceptical at first, but then the last sort of year I've come full circle on that. I'm just so excited at, at what this league could offer. If just to kind of finish, what would be your kind of your dream scenario for this league? How how do you see this league playing out? Would you like to see multiple divisions? Would you like to see things like promotion relegation? I know this is all way down the line, but what would be your dream for this league? Yeah, I think I mean if we look five or ten years out, we want this league to be one that's that's vibrant. I mean the bottom line from a player's perspective, is that this is developing Canadian players that we can perform in a World Cup and, and get us there regularly. So that is one of the boxes I think this league needs to check, is that the development uh, is not only working, but it's you know it's really being successful. I think from a fan perspective, I think if you can really grow the league in the first couple of years, uh, and you know, given performances, of course, but that there's a solid fan base of, I don't know, six to 8,000 fans in every stadium, and down down the road, I would hope that that would grow. I mean, that having fans in seats, um, it's just, it, it comes full circle when it's, you know, fans uh, are interested, so the media writes about it, and the media writes about it, so fans go, and it's just, it makes sense. So um, for that to work and to, I don't want to say this, in 10 years, you know, the media and the fans have to be as supportive of it as uh, the other one is. Yeah. Um, so that's something that's, critical for me. And then I think league growth. I mean, there's rumors of, you know, six teams at the start. Um, how many uh, how many divisions can we do? Do we do an Eastern and a Western sort of thing? Is it a single table? At this point, I'm not too picky. I, I just kind of want to get to the first kick yeah. uh, and be there and be supporting. But I think from a fan standpoint, the media standpoint, ownership standpoint, I think we're all in a really, really good spot. Uh, and I think there's only room for good growth yeah i i hope so as well as i say it's really exciting time thank you so much for your time today james really looking forward to seeing what you guys do in the build-up to the league and then see you guys in action once it all starts yeah my pleasure hopefully we can get you out to a game in hamilton i would love to do that So James Hutton there from Barton Street Battalion. You can give them a follow on Twitter at Barton Battalion and check out their website, bartonbattalion.ca. 
So exciting times in Hamilton. There is a little glitch that that cropped up since we spoke to James. To to call it a glitch is possibly... It could be a major glitch. It might not be a little thing. But all of a sudden, Hamilton City are saying that the Tiger Cats don't have the sole use of the stadium for a soccer team and they want to put a soccer team out to tender. The CSA have come back and said, doesn't matter if any other team's coming on board, we won't sanction them. So it's getting a bit messy. It's it's really frustrating because I think some politicians are like, oh, eventually there could be money made here or more money made here. Yeah, they're probably just posturing right now. That's yeah. Well, the stadium and the stadium is one issue when it comes to this this uh, side in Hamilton. One of the confirmed sides is that uh, the stadium is is bigger than what you know. It's bigger than six to eight thousand. Yes. And so, it's, how are they going to configure the stadium? Well, it looks like maybe open the one side and maybe behind the goals get the, the supporters in there as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you've got BC Place where you've got the the tarps and everything, and you've got the sales. Harder to do at an open airfield like Tim Hortons Field. We've seen games there. The Pan Am games were played there and some yep. women's stuff as well. And it, it's looked good, but that's with a full house. And it's, we talked in the last part like how much they can draw compared to, to TFC. If the games clash, I don't think you're going to see a great crowd there. But there does seem to be a, a market in Hamilton to support the team if they market it right. And if they do things right with it. And, I, the, and the thing is with, with – you know how you're talking about is, is close to TFC. The thing is there's a lot of traffic in Toronto, and I don't know how many people want to go all the – I don't know how many people from Hamilton yeah. go all the way out to it's Toronto to watch games. Yeah, I, I've been really checking my, my route finders. Well, the hour without traffic, you, uh, GTA traffic is pretty bad usually, so it could be even more than that. So I, I don't know how many people actually go out there to watch games, and so maybe a closer team could be a better option for them. Yeah, I, I so I I just wanted to say that uh, when it's talking about configuring the stadium, I think there is a chance that they could fill it, which would also be amazing. Oh yeah. Um, in terms of the traffic, yeah, lots of people who live in the GTA do spend literally like hours of their week sitting on the four hundred one, but that's a part of life. And, and when it comes to your football club, like if it, if you've been driving an, an hour for an hour or more for games, when he he talked about some dual citizens and whatever, I think there'll be probably more dual citizens than people who give up TFC, especially because TFC is in the, the, the form of their, yes. you know, of their life. A couple of um, seasons ago, it would have made yeah. it been fantastic. But what oh, I'm yeah. talking about is I'm talking about the casual fan from Hamilton that yeah. might not want to go all the way to Toronto. Yeah, not the hardcore. Right. The, they maybe wanted to show up to a closer team that's closer to them. What about a team name? We had the Hamilton Steelers back in the CSL days. Should they revisit that? Hamilton Academicals, I think, could work. They could get a tie-in with the club in Scotland. Maybe loan some players from there. Yeah. Um, how about the Real Sporting Hamilton United FC? Catchy. Does that work? Catchy. Might you make got a the, lot of bases covered there. Yeah. yeah. The crest might be a little bit busy. Yeah. Why not, instead of United, can we use the term Eintracht? That's German for United. Sure. Gives I it did a not little, know that. Gives it a little bit of flair. <laughs> Woo. The big German community in Hamilton. Yeah. And, of course... They're involved with the CFL. Bob Young, the caretaker, as he likes to be known, of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And the Winnipeg team, which is the other confirmed team as well, it's the the Winnipeg CFL team that's kind of behind that. Wait, in addition to the, being the owner, he also is their custodian? He He's the caretaker. Wow. Like you Hong know Kong what caretaker Fui. means. You use it all the time. Custodial engineer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hong Kong Fui. Wait, what? He was the mild man or janitor. Yeah. What? Hong yes. Kong Fooey. You don't know what Hong Kong Fooey Number Fui? one super guy. 
Is this a wrestling thing? No. No, no. Hong Kong. <laughs> Hanna-Barbera cartoon, oh Hong Kong Fooey. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Obviously, my childhood was more wasted than yours, or I was more no, wasted. No, I'm, I'm on your board. That's not yeah. on the board. You're on his board. Okay, that's yeah. good. But anyway, that's two of the teams that have been confirmed. One of the teams which is all but confirmed is out in Halifax, out in the Maritimes. And we're kind of wanting the league ideally to be Canada-wide. I'd love to see a team in every province. Might be hard to get, like, Yellowknife playing. That's, that's not a territory. It's a territory. Oh, okay. See, I haven't done my citizenship <laughs> test yet. I'm not like Don't Alfonso worry. Don't, yeah, we'll get Alfonso the, to teach you. Also, the problem with uh, Northwest Territories, if you're going to drive, the ice roads are going to be very <laughs> melty, so you don't <laughs> you don't want to be driving in the summer there. I am looking forward, though, when I do my citizenship test, to the Whitecaps doing a video package for me. <laughs> they can go visit your parents. Yeah, they can go visit my parents and all my friends. Well, I think TSS would do it for you. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I'm looking forward to that. I hope they're starting work now because I'm going to get around to applying. That was a nice video made by Zach. It, it was a, that 80-minute video. It, it was a very moving video. Yeah, it was. It, it did bring me to tears at one bit. Anyway, back to Halifax and the Canadian PL. So we had a chance to speak to another supporters group that has started before they even have a team. Halifax Wanderers supporters group, because they're hoping to be playing at the Wanderers Stadium. There is some snafus with that as well, which we'll talk about after we play this. But let's hear now from a member of the Halifax supporters group, James Covey. Thanks so much for doing this, James. Very happy to be here. And uh, a lot to talk about. Some exciting times for for soccer out there in in Halifax. Right now, it's not a hundred percent certain that the the club is getting a team, but there's a there's a strong bid to try try and get a team there. Can you maybe just up, update people on on what the current situation is around that? Sure. Well, basically the. The whole viability of, of, of the team, um, very much uh, in our view and in the view of the, the ownership group, Sports and Entertainment Atlantic, uh, it comes down to uh, this great location that we want to make use of. So the Wanderers Grounds uh, is now public property in Halifax, and it's been uh, you know a sports field since the 1880s. It has a long history. There's never been a proper stadium there. And, but it, it will be the city's decision, it'll be a, a vote of the, of the council, whether SEA can put up a, a temporary stadium there and manage it, you know, do the event management and bring in games and, and of course, a club. So there isn't really a good plan B, as far as we can tell. And um, what, what SEA have been saying is that they don't have a plan B. They're, they're kind of banking on uh, succeeding with this vote because with this, with this great sort of downtown location, they think that could really spur success for the club. And so the, so what it comes down to is uh, as soon as June 13th, maybe a little bit further into the summer, uh, city council will have a vote as to whether this proposal can go forward. Well, looking at the plans, I hope it does, because it looks a fantastic little setup that that they've put together. My only concern was that, that there was no roof, but talking beforehand, you mentioned that cost might be a factor there, but it, it looks it looks great. And having the history of that actual venue as well, it, it's just something to, I feel, really help sell the club. 
I think so. I think that uh, even though the city doesn't have a lot of a lot of soccer history, I, I feel that the best way to really help people feel connected to this club is to let the club be connected to the sports history of the city. Yeah. Uh, and you know, on that ground, has seen some amazing, you know, rugby and cricket and gridiron football and baseball over the years. And we'd love to be able to add this new club to that tradition. So if, like, looking on the positive side, everything gets put through and then Halifax is, is going to get a club in the new Canadian PL, what, what would having a professional sports team like that do for the city? Oh, it, you know, for, for that uh, period of the year, the, the, the sort of May to October window that we're talking about, we feel like it would be the biggest thing happening downtown. You know, the, the junior hockey team is very popular here, but they're not in operation at that time of year. Right. Um, and so we, we feel that it could be a real focus for, you know, the summer months. And the, the league, the hope is to have it cross Canada. There's strong rumours that there's going to be a team out here in BC as well. A couple of groups interested. Logistically, like travel for a Halifax team, you have to feel that's going to be one of the most expensive travels for, for a team there. Do you feel that the ownership group that they're going to have that planned, that the money for for basically travelling across Canada, is that going to be like the biggest outlay that they've probably got? Well, so I'll say two things about that. One, one is that you know I don't think the total league concept is going to you know really work unless there's some kind of sharing of uh, travel expenses across the league because yeah. obviously it's going to be more of a burden to some teams than others. Um, but as for, you know, does this uh, specific ownership group, this specific club have, you know, you know, deep enough pockets to kind of pull their weight? I will say that we, we put the question to, to Derek Martin, who is prime on this. He, he runs SEA, the Sports Sports Air Team in Atlantic. Uh, at a public meeting with him and Paul Byrne, we asked, is there going to be a salary cap of this league and are you prepared to spend to it? And Derek said, yes, and yes. <laughs> Good to hear. Oh, that, that, that's what we want to hear as fans, I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's excellent to hear. And, I mean, it, it, it's the whole league's exciting. We've, we've had a chat with Paul Byrne as well, and it, all the plans sound very exciting. And I feel it has to be a coast-to-coast league, which would then kind of bring up the, who, who would you really ideally want to see a, as rivals for Halifax, would you want to see a team in, say, Moncton? I know it's like still two-plus hours drive, but it is drivable, and you've got a, a local team. Is that who you would see as your your natural local rivals? I would say, well, yeah, I think that definitely there is already existing a kind of Halifax-Moncton rivalry because there's been, there's been some competition for big events, big events, like concerts and so forth, and they're comparatively yeah. rare out here. And Moncton has won some of those competitions for big events. <laughs> there's, there's a little bit of a there's, there's a there's a city rivalry already. Can a can PL team work in Moncton? I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, right. I know Paul Byrne is, is you know he's, he's talked about you know when the league gets out to you know 24 or more teams, you know that they'd, they'd like to have teams everywhere. There's a population base with a minimum of say. 200,000 people. Well, Moncton doesn't have that. So then you have to ask, 
well, would people drive, you know, the, the hour and a half or two hours from St. John or Fredericton and, you know, would, would that allow Moncton to support a team? I'm, I'm, like, I'm really not sure. You know, if you look at Atlanta, Canada, there's, there's one other city besides Halifax that would have that minimum 200,000 uh, population base and that has a, you know, a soccer-specific stadium, and that would be St. John's Newfoundland, actually. Right. Um, but again, the travel expenses, you know, it, it costs a lot to fly there from here, let alone from further west in the country. So, uh, you know, it, that, that's how I look at it. It would be it would be nice if we had Moncton as a rival. I'm not counting on it. Um, we, we, you know, we're much more likely to end up in a situation where geographically closest team is, uh, you know, Quebec City. Yeah, which again would also be a good thing because I, I I love Quebec City. It's I, I I know you're a big fan of Montreal from our, our chat before we recorded. For me, Quebec City, I it's it reminds me a lot of Scotland, and I had a blast when I went there. It, it would be great to see see teams kind of in the outskirts of where the MLS teams are just now, and that that would make total sense. And I guess talking about MLS teams, you're you're a Montreal fan. What what is the support for the MLS teams like in Halifax? Is there a big interest in the league and the teams there right now? You know, since the the Wanderers formed, I've gotten to know quite a few TSC fans, but I can't say before that that I was regularly encountering such people out here. I mean, I I, I saw uh, when we had the the, the big playoff series between Montreal and Toronto, there was a huge new wave of interest across the country, and that that definitely impacted out here as well, if I may right. use the verb. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I suddenly saw a number of people interested that really hadn't been before. I would say, you know, and this is a common experience, I think, across a lot of regions, Canada that are outside of those three big cities, that you see a lot more visible interest in uh, the international game when a World Cup or a Euro happen. And you see many more signs of interest in that right. um, than you do in the MLS clubs. And since the, like, I remember when it was announced you had your, your big meeting out there and it seemed really well attended. What's the buzz been like since it looks like Halifax could get a team? And then since you guys have set up the supporters group, which is obviously not fully formal just now because it's not a, an actual team, but what's the buzz been like both in the team and, and, and interest in yourselves? It's really been remarkable. I've, you know, I've honestly, I've, you know, I've, I've never seen anything like it out here. First of all, all of the commentary we've seen in the media from journalists, from columnists has been positive. Uh, haven't really seen serious skepticism uh, about it, or at least you know truly negative reactions about it from from any of the kind of more informed commentariat. Even the most even the most critical folks out here are very pleased with the idea that, that there were, there's no public funding involved in building a stadium in this proposal, um, yeah. and that has really kind of won over some of the most skeptical. And then, kind of on the more person to person level, I was just commenting to my wife the other day that every time I raise this topic with people I meet in the streets and I, you know, I, I tell them about our supporters group, it's, it's such a door opener. It's, you know, so many people are interested to see this happening, and it's, it's been very easy to kind of turn people on to the idea of having a, a pro soccer team here. I, I hope everything goes fin, fantastic, because I've never been to Halifax. I hope to get out there, and going out for a soccer game would be the, the ideal time to do that. 
The last thing really to ask you then, I guess, James, is what are you hoping for from this league? Not even in the first couple of years, but kind of five to ten years down the line, what would you like to see this Canadian Premier League be for, for soccer in Canada? You know, it's really, uh, it's been Paul Byrne who's been out there kind of setting the vision and putting it in front of people. And I really like his emphasis on sustainability. So uh, I, I'm really not interested in focusing on, you know, competition with, with MLS or other sports. It's what do we need to do to kind of set a really good foundation here uh, so that, you know, as many communities as possible in Canada have the option of going out and seeing top-level footy, you know, just, just want to be able to experience that uh, in person on a regular basis instead of, you know, being something that I have to plan <laughs> around. Uh, so that is, for me, that's what really excites me is the idea that, you know, let's set this up on a stable, on a stable foundation, you know, with a reasonable growth plan and, and build something that we're all going to be proud of. I think we can all agree with that. So good luck with all the the plans out there. Good luck with the supporters group. Once things get all finalised and it, it's closer to everything kicking off, we'll hopefully speak to you again and kind of see how the growth's been. But I really hope it's a, a huge success because I, I love the initial plans and just the excitement of everything. So good luck with everything moving forward. I, I look forward to uh, to uh, raising a pint out here with you at a, yeah. uh, a future game. James Covey there from Halifax Wanderers Supporters Group. You can give them a follow on Twitter and also James Covey himself. He's at AS Covey. And it's going to be great if there's a team in the Maritimes because we do need this league to be cross-country. And as James said there, there's there's not a lot of other things and he thinks it's going to be the, the biggest thing in the summer in Halifax, really, and it'd be it'd be ideal too because they that's where they qualified for the eighty uh, six World Cup in the Maritimes. In the Maritimes, yeah. yeah. So I think it would be ideal to have one or two teams there for sure, whether it's right away or down the road. Yeah, it's exciting, and uh, I think you mentioned before we went into that how there's a is there another vote or is it? Yeah, it's going to council. It might be this Tuesday, but it might also get pushed back where they're going to vote just to approve the plans to build the pop-up stadium. There has been a local residents group, the Friends of Halifax Common. I don't think they're Wombles, but they're wanting to oppose it because they feel it's not a pop-up because it's going to be a permanent structure for at least three years with possibly another three years on top. And they're worried about transit. Basically, all the things that we heard for the Whitecaps in the Waterfront Stadium is what this group is coming up with in Halifax. And as James said there, there's no plan B. So if this gets voted down, there's there's not going to be a Halifax team. That would be disappointing if that happened. Um, But overall... Uh, let's about you know for the supporters and everything. How do you think this works with the supporters? Like, I I think they're absolutely vital in order to build this league up. Uh, Paul Byrne talked about it. Um, Squiz talked about it. 
it's it, it they've ha- the t- the club has to work with the supporters uh, lessen restrictions on the on the field um work with them in in you know to get the rest of the um casual soccer fan out there i think it's important for that yeah there's no there's no football clubs without supporters so and as paul burns said football clubs are so much more than the 90 the minutes is, yeah. on a saturday totally yeah Totally, and and some football clubs don't get that in North America, and it's at their peril. And so, yeah, all the things we hear coming from those involved with the CPL, both I think on the record and off the record, are very, very positive. That they they understand football, they understand the game, they understand Canada, they understand North American sport, and they're trying to do their best to um, they're trying to do their best to to kind of bring football to Canada in a meaningful way. And they recognize that the supporters are an, a huge part of that. You talk, we talked about rivalries. You talked about the geography of it all. Like you, yeah, you, you want these groups to hate each other when they're playing, but like grow the game in, in this country. And w- without them, it can't be done. Very true. And, and it also requires the, the other thing it requires is, not just the casual fan, sports fan or whatever. It also requires raising up the next generation of supporters. Yes. And this is something – this is – As the is, ticket pricing's right, you're going to have families heading along. And totally. it could be their first ever experience of live soccer. Yeah. And, and it, the it, thing it, is you even you, – you hear it at the Whitecaps games. Like you you're, you're, you got the megaphone happening, even though I don't think you need it sometimes. But you got the megaphone happening in the curva. There are people right in front of us in, the, in front of the media section – who chant along with you guys, and there's kids who are chanting along with you guys. So it is kind. Of, that's what you have to build, essentially. Um, people might not like you, fat bastard, but it it brings the whole <laughs> audience together. The boom, the boom one brings everybody together. So you got to have those kind of things to bring. I think together. someone posted on Facebook today that they don't like that. Um, but no, it, well, it, everybody, somebody's going to post it yeah. that they don't like it. That's, uh, a, that's the internet. Um, <laughs> But no, it is really it is about raising up the next generation, and it's one thing uh, that I think there are going to be some initiatives around. I think with this league going forward, and you know, hopefully, once things uh, once there's more than just Hamilton and just Winnipeg, hopefully, we'll have some more discussions about that. And just before we we wrap up this special Canadian Premier League show, what would you? What's your hopes and what's your expectations from each of you? What are you looking for from this league initially? I'm maybe five, ten years down the line. I think up until recently, there's been a lot of skepticism, even even amongst uh, sports fans or, or you know football supporters uh, about this league, especially in the MLS cities. Uh, I, I guess my hope is that people will see this for what it is. This is an opportunity to grow the game, and that they will choose to support local football, whether that be. And becoming season ticket holders in a in maybe a, a new club in their in their area, um, or, or inviting people into into the sport, um, I just think there's a huge opportunity for people to to get involved and to be a part of this. Um, in terms of the short term, I, I I do you know I guess expectations, Michael. I, I can't see it starting without eight teams. I can't see it starting before 2019. Um, but I like all the things that people like Paul Byrne are saying about the long-term sustainability and, and making sure they do things right, both from the launch 
to the kind of the way they've been talking about what the future uh, could look like. And so if you don't talk about the, what the future could look like, if you don't have a vision for what the future looks like, then you're never going to get there. And it seems like the people involved with this have that. So my expectations for the long term are that they, they continue to uh, be faithful to the vision that they've kind of been expressing. Um, I think uh, I echo your sentiments about the uh, the actual the initial stuff you said. For the team, uh, the league-wise, the way it built, I think 10 teams for me minimum to start off with. I would love that. Long term, what I'm looking at is I, I think 16 to 20 eventually. And with those three of those teams being the current teams in the MLS. And I know that might be a stretch, but I would like to see that where Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto are part of this eventually, maybe 20 years down the road, where they see that this thing is succeeding, they can get on board with it. Obviously, the people that are part of the club right now might not be part of the club then. So then you'll, you might have a different, uh, um, ideas of going so that way you, you it might have work and so that's what I'm hoping for down the road that we have a 16 to 20 team uh, Canadian Premier League with all Canadian teams and and then you have your own league wow my uh, dream I'm visionary well my dream is maybe even more visionary I want Ooh. a Canadian pyramid system oh yeah with feeder leagues ideally two top tiers promotion and relegation through it all that's a long, long way away. Preach it, Michael. But I'm looking forward to this league starting. I want to be a part of it. I want to work for a team. I want to help promote the, the sports from grassroots level up. I'll even move to Halifax. Also, I, kinda, I want to see financial stability. Hmm. And I want to see proper media coverage from the league as well, which is going to be tough because media is dying all over the place. But local... Like you've seen it just now. So the Hamilton Spectator and the Halifax newspaper, they're really back in the teams. And we need to see more of that. So I'm hoping for that as well. Anyway, I hope you've all enjoyed this special episode of the AFT and Soccer Show, focusing solely on the Canadian Premier League. It's a milestone episode for us, as we said. Officially, episode 200 of the AFT and Soccer Show, there's still time. Technically, you could say it's our 206th because of our extra podcast and our Mixler shows that we've done. And if you want to include the, the West Coast Soccer Weekly as well. Yeah, guess, that was a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, we're into the 240s. But we'll, we'll go with episode 200. So thank you for all your support over these four plus years. It means a lot to us. I think we started March 2013. Sounds right. And it's it's been a fun journey and we've got a lot more to come. We've got some... Some big plans ahead. We've got some more partnerships to announce as well. So stay tuned to AFTN for that. You'll get all our stuff, all our Whitecaps coverage and everything else as well on Away From The Numbers, AFTN.ca. Follow me on Twitter, Michael McCall, at AFTN Canada. Guys, do you want to let everyone know where they can find you online? You can find me on Twitter, at WhitecapsBeat. Yeah, on Twitter, it's at ZacharyAM, and I'm part of the Movement Curva Collective. And also check it out on AFTN, our team section, where you'll find all our writers' details and give them a follow on Twitter as well. Thanks to all of them for their support over the last couple of years. We couldn't make the site as good as it is without you. Thanks for all you listeners as well. It means a lot. All you guys that take time on a Sunday to tweet in live, all of you that listen to the podcast. But until next time, when we'll be back talking about the Whitecaps, thanks for listening. Take care. And And mon the caps. caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. 
the atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Thank you.